Welcome to the Upper Perkiomen Community Church Podcast. Join us on Sundays at 258 Main Street, East Greenville, Pennsylvania. Refreshments at 9 a.m. Worship at 9.30 a.m. Or visit us online at upcconline.org. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy our teaching time with our special guest speaker. you guys doing? Well, it's interesting because I, I feel like every time I preach here, it's a trap sermon. <laughs> this is one of those. <laughs> uh, this is an interesting text. It's rarely, it's an interesting thing for me. It's rarely when I, when I study and put a sermon together that I'm, I'm unsure of it. And this is one of them. It's a hard text to read. It's a hard sermon to really decipher. I've read a lot of other people's idea about it, and they're all over the place, and there's good reason. Um, I got to listen to Pastor John's sermon last. I met Pastor John's sermon on Saul 1, 1 through 14, and I said, what a sweet sermon. And then I get to this, and I said, this isn't a sweet sermon. But I do think we have a goal here. Our goal is to deliberately try to consider the author's intention on this sermon. Why is Saul put in such a highlighted place? What is the author trying to say to us in the original context? And then what does it mean to us today? And we have to be very careful because if we're not careful, we can make all kind of leaps and we can do disservice to what the text actually means. So I'm going to try to break it down in several ways. We're first going to take verse 24. We're just going to read that verse. If you were to title this sermon, I called it A King Who Failed. Some people call it Jonathan Eats Honey. Other people call it Saul's Rash Vow. You can call it anything. But I think the core to this is that there are certain ways that leaders ought not act. And when they do, it affects everyone. 1 Samuel 14, verse 24. And the men of Israel had been hard-pressed that day. So Saul laid, had laid an oath on the people, saying, Cursed be the man, the man who eats food until it is, it is evening, and I am avenged on my enemies. So none of the people had tasted food. So I don't know about you, but it's pretty interesting when I can pronounce a curse. I don't know if that's within my realm to say, hey, you're going to be cursed if you do this. Maybe as a king, I've never been a king. I think it'd be really cool if I was king of UPCC. (laughs) Curse be you guys if you do this. But I think what's interesting about that is that Saul didn't take notice of something very important. Read again. And the men of Israel had been hard-pressed that day. So they were tired. They were in this battle. You know the story that Jonathan went up, and he, he, he made this great statement. I want to read it again. Just a little earlier, 14.6, Jonathan, Jonathan said to the young man who carried his armor, Come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord had worked 
for us. For nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. John, you did a great job with that sermon, by the way. I was pretty impressed. I said, wow, this guy can preach. <laughs> I kind of knew that, but it was really good to hear it. I haven't heard him for a while. And Jonathan, because of that, they went and they slaughtered just 20 men. And because of that, they sent a ripple effect through the whole Philistine army, and they just start running. And Saul saw that, and they just, let's go get him. But they had fought these guys for probably 15, 16 miles, and they were tired. They were hungry. And I don't know about you, if I'm tired and hungry, and all of a sudden I see honey just lying around everything, I may grab some. I don't even like honey, but I may eat it. Because I'm hungry and I'm tired. But Saul didn't see that. So he makes this stupid oath. He said, curse be the man who eats food until it is evening. And then listen to this. And I am avenged on my enemy so that none of the people tasted food. It's interesting that the king of Israel, remember in 1 Samuel 8, they begged God for a king. He says, you don't really need it. And finally he gave a king. But he actually, the whole context is that God said, this isn't what you need. This isn't the type of person you need. And, called, and Saul definitely wasn't the type of king Israel needed. But they wanted a king like the other nations. So God gave him Saul. And I guess Saul thought because he was king, he could also be God. Because he made this pronouncement. I'm going to put a curse on you if you don't avenge my, not God's enemy, but my enemy. See, that's what ungodly kings do. They decide that the people are his and that the enemy are his and everything is his. And Saul went down a really rapid, what I would call transgression of authority because he started to think that God gave him Israel to be his. And not to lead God's people, but to lead his people. And so it's interesting. So he said it, and then it goes on. It says, now when all the people came to the forest, behold, there was honey on the ground. I've never seen a forest with honey on the ground. I never saw dripping honey. Must be a cool sight. And when the people entered the forest, behold, there was there was dropping, but no one put his hand to his mouth, for the people feared the oath. But Jonathan had not heard his father's charge. The people with the oath, so he put the tip of the, of the staff that was in his hand, dipped it in the honeycomb, and put his hand to his mouth, and his eyes became bright. Then one of the people said, Your father strictly charged that people with the oath saying, curse be the man who eats food this day. And the people were faint. So what do you do when you don't know something happened and all of a sudden you just kind of do something impulsively because you're starving? Jonathan had a good reason to be hungry. He was leading God's people. He was doing godly things. God was showing him great victory. And all of a sudden he was tired and he was man and he saw honey and he just dipped the his staff in it, and he ate. And see, this is what happens when you have ungodly leadership. You make decisions that don't even seem 
logical. How many of you guys would say someone should die because they ate honey? That doesn't seem like a logical thing. Hey, curse be anyone. Put him to death. If you violate the oath of the king, it doesn't seem logical, but this is where Saul was. And one of the things I've noticed about Saul is that he wasn't really interested in his people. He was interested in him. Everything was about him. You guys, I want to make a point, and I don't typically do this, but I want to make an application point in the middle of my sermon because I saw that John did that last week, so I thought it's cool. <laughs> I'm going to make, this is why I say it's a trap sermon. When there is ungodly people leading, people become more ungodly. That's just true. And I don't care if you're Democrat or Republican. If you're ungodly and you lead, you give the right to people to be more ungodly. And that's what we're seeing in our land. It started a long time ago. I don't care what D or R if you put in front of it. When we elect ungodly people, people become more ungodly because we give them a right to be more ungodly. That's the danger. That's why we have to vote, but we have to know who we're voting for and where they stand. I don't want to make this a political thing. <laughs> Saul was more concerned with his own agenda than God's agenda. And he didn't really care what God wanted. He knew what he wanted. See, so often we're voting for people who have their own agenda. And that's dangerous. Why don't we believe that God can bring godly people? Why can't we be praying as a nation that God would rise up godly politicians? He can and he has. Why can't he do it now? Our country needs godly people with integrity and that do the right thing for people, not for themselves. It's not all about their agenda or themselves. It's about doing the right thing for the people that they're called to govern. Let's not put an R and D in front of it. Won't we pray for godly leaders? Just I should stop. <laughs> oh. And then continuing through twenty four through thirty, Paul was more interested in using people than caring for them. That's a dangerous thing. I don't care if you're tired. I don't care if you've been fighting. I don't care if you had to fight these guys for 16 miles in and, and forests and everything. I don't care. Don't eat until I'm avenged. It's all about me. Can't you see? I'm king. You're not. I don't care if you're tired. I don't care if you're hungry. I don't care. I care about my name and my glory. So avenge me before you take something in your mouth. What is that? How do we get there? That we care so much for our own glory. We don't really care about the people we're supposed to lead. Don't you think that's a dangerous thing? That we care so much about our name that we don't care about the people we are to lead. If you continue, verse 31 through 33 says, they struck down the Philistines that day from me. I can't say these words. Rachel, you did such a good job. Thank you. The 
Michmas and Abijon, and the people were very faint. The people pounced on the spoil and took the sheep and oxen and calves and slaughtered them on the ground. This is so funny. And the people ate them with the blood. See, sometimes when godly, I mean, ungodly people do things, you actually cause them to violate godly laws. This was a novet. Uh, uh, I'm going to use words, and I hate using words that sometimes people won't understand. But it was a Levitical covenant that the people do not eat animals with blood in them. It's also back all the way in Genesis, a Novitic covenant, that they did not do these things. But when you get desperate and you're not thinking, and you're tired and you're weary, and you just want to eat, sometimes you don't think about God things. When you put so much oppression on people, this is exactly what the Pharisees did to people. They put so much weight on people. The burden was too great. And sometimes when the burden is too great, you don't think about God. You just think about surviving. You just think about making it. See, leaders shouldn't do that. Leaders shouldn't put things on you that absolutely make you compromise your stance on God. But that's what he did. And the men were just hungry, and they were almost like animals. They would kill animals, and they just eat them like wild animals because they were tired and faint. And they knew that they had to avenge Saul. What do you do when you have to work and you have no more energy left? You have no more fight left. And your leaders keep pushing you and pushing you and pushing you to do. And you have nothing left to give. You just want to be taken care of. But you also don't want to violate the king. You know, it's interesting that Saul couldn't see this. Saul's aids and abet, abet, abets others in disobedience of the law of God. And then he wants to punish him for it. Isn't that interesting? They were just trying to be good soldiers. They were just trying to fight a battle and win a war. And this stupid, silly command and this oath that Saul made was impossible for them to fulfill. But yet then he was going to punish anyone who would violate it. So we put people in situations where they have to choose between the lesser of two evils. Both are wrong. But you just have to make a choice. Are you going to avenge me? Or are you just not going to eat and faint? What are you going to do? We're faint. We don't have anything left. We don't have any more power. We don't have any more fight, Saul. But you better avenge me by tonight. What are you going to do when you're put in impossible situations by those who lead and govern you? So they ate like wild animals. They ate the blood. They violated the very law of God to fill the oath of a king. Then they told Saul, behold, the people are sinning against the Lord by eating what with the blood. And he said, you have dealt treacherously. Roll a great stone. He said, I'm going to build an altar, Lord. I'm going to build an altar now. After all this stuff, I'm going to build an altar and have all the people 
Say to them, let every man bring his oxen and his sheep and slaughter them here and eat. You know, you want to know why they did that? They were going to slaughter them right. They were going to get all the blood out of them. They were going to eat then. And do not sin against the Lord by eating the blood. Actually, Saul was right here. You know that? This is actually correct, biblically. He said, let's build an altar and let's do this the right way. But see, it doesn't cover up his mistake. It doesn't cover up his, his own intention and his own greed and his own glory-mongering attitude. It doesn't cover that up. We can't then take people and say, now let's make everything right. You can't do that after you cause the whole nation to sin. Oh, now let's build an altar. Why did Saul not entreat the Lord beforehand? Why didn't he say, hey, is this a good oath? But he didn't do that. So he built this altar. And the people came. So every one of the people brought his oxen with him that night, and they slaughtered them. And Saul built an altar to the Lord. It was his first altar that he built to the Lord. Don't miss that. Saul had been king of all. He had been in a lot of situations. Why now is he building an altar? The Bible doesn't really tell us, so I don't, I don't want to say what I think. I just want you to note that normally when men who are evil get in situations that are bigger than themselves, that's the only time they turn to God. They create a mess, and then they expect God to get them out of it. See, Saul had this tendency to only call on God when it was convenient for him. Now it was convenient for him. Let's, oh, we better call on God now. People are sinning. Why are they sinning, Saul? Because of your stupid oath. That's why they're doing it. Maybe you should have sought the Lord beforehand. Maybe you should have called on the name. Maybe you shouldn't have had a a priest with you who was disqualified for being that. Maybe you should have had a godly priest who could have told you what you should have done in the first place. Maybe you should have had godly counsel around you, Saul, who could guide and direct you in a way that would honor God. Now you made a mess. Now you think it's convenient to, to call on the name of the Lord to get you out of it? So what does God do? I love God. So he built an altar, right? Then Saul said, verse 38, let's go down after the Philistines by night and plunder them until the morning. Like, let us not leave a man of them. And they said, do what you, whatever you seems good to you. If you ever, I don't know if you've ever been in a theocracy where there's a king. I, I shouldn't say theocracy, that'd be God. But maybe in the monarch, monarchy, when there's a king and he tells you to do something, how many people do you think are going to say, no, let's not do that king? Okay, I'll just have your head cut off. What do you think about that? Okay, do whatever you want, king. You want us to eat the blood? You want us to do? You want us to do whatever? We'll do it. See, when we put people in impossible situations, it's dangerous. So they, the people are pretty, do whatever seems good to you. But the priest said, 
Let us draw near to God here. So Saul said, oh, that sounds like a good idea. So Saul inquires of God, shall I go down after the Philistines? Will you give them into our hand of Israel? Remember Jonathan's prayer? When he prayed, he said, hey, if they say come up to us, we'll know that the Lord has handed them over to us. So Saul at least taught Jonathan some decent things, right? But he did not answer him that day. What do you think if you inquired of God and you knew that the situation that normally God answers and he doesn't do anything? What are you supposed to do? Wait. So does it wait? Not Saul. So Saul thinks that he, if God doesn't answer him, and Saul said, come here, all you leaders of the people, and know and see how this sin has arisen today. So now Saul is blaming God's silence on the sin of the people. Isn't that interesting that he caused it, but now it's the people's fault? Interjection. We're in the trouble as a country. And it's not because Democrats or Republicans. It's because God's people aren't doing what God's people ought to do. Seek the God who can change everything. We have aligned ourselves with allegiances that aren't godly, and yet we pronounce them to be so. There's only one king who's able to rule a country in dignity, with integrity. And it's not our presidents. And it's not our Congress. And it's not our Senate. And it's not our Supreme Court. It's the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ. And when we start depending on other people to do what Jesus has called us to do, to pray. You want to know something about civil liberties? I don't know. How do I turn these things into this? We have a choice. We can either let godly people continue to pray and have God move, or we can let ungodly leaders decide the country, direction of our country. We can, we can be the church that is an ordained vehicle of God to change the trajectory of a country and to push back evil, or we can say, let the government do it, and why don't we just do something else? And you guys, I'm not telling you anything other than why don't we get on our knees more? Why don't we pray more? Why don't we ask God more? God, do something. God, change the hearts of people. How many of us would love to see Donald Trump fall in love with Jesus Christ? How many of us are praying for that? God, change his heart. Draw him to you, Lord. Because honestly, if you draw him to you and you get godly counsel and he listens to them, he'll do great things. I actually think that he's trying to do great things, but he's doing them in humanistic ways, and they're going to fail. It's only if he turns to God and turns to Christ that he will be able to accomplish the things that he ought to accomplish. I don't know why we so quickly turn to an unfit king, an unfit ruler to rule. When God says, why don't you just seek my face? When do we become people who depend on the government to change people's hearts towards Christ? 
When do we think that laws and new regulations are going to turn people to Jesus? How have we gotten so lost that we think that God will be pleased with us? What we need to do is call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Call and pray out to the God who is able. And our country's in trouble not because of bad government, but because of lack of faith. You know, I find it interesting that Saul is so zealous about sin of others rather than dealing with the sin of his own life. Okay? God's not answering. See what this sin did? See, this is why we're in this situation. Someone sinned. No, David didn't do that. When Samuel said, it's you who sinned, David accepted it. And so he wrote Psalms 32 and 51. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit in me. See, that's what Saul should have done. God, it's me. God, I did it. But see, by this time, the kingdom was taken from him. And now we're just watching it play it out. If you read 38 through 46, you start to see that Saul was very zealous about dealing with other people's sin, but not very zealous about seeing it in himself. See, that's what happened to people when they look and trust their own wisdom. Therefore Saul said, O Lord God of Israel, why have you not answered your servant this day? If this guilt is in me or in Jonathan, my son, O Lord, God of Israel, give Urim. And all these things were, they were stones. They were flat stones. And if one side came up white, and one side was dark, and they would cast kind of stones to, dis- to decide which party was guilty. And when they did that, it fell on Saul I mean, and Jonathan. So Saul instantly assumed Jonathan's sin. He said, what have you done? Jonathan, being a godly man, said, this is what I did. I ate. And he said, let me die. See, Jonathan wasn't going to hide his sin. He didn't realize, but he said, I did it. I stuck my staff in the honey and I ate. But if God will be gracious to the people, let me die. You know, I often feel sad for Jonathan because, honestly, if Saul wouldn't have blown it, we would have had a really godly king following him. We would have had Jonathan. But because of Saul's sin, Jonathan was never going to see the throne. See, God won't be mocked in this. He isn't going to let us get away with this. He isn't going to let ungodly people get away with their sin. And what he says is true. When he speaks, he means it. And he says, Saul, you'll never have a descendant on the throne. Never. You'll never have that because you have sinned. I think it's fascinating that Saul didn't see that. He cast lot between me and my son, Jonathan. And Jonathan was taken. But the problem is, God wasn't in the lots. See, when godly men do this, God honors it. When ungodly people do, he doesn't. 
Saul was blinded by his own greed, arrogance, and pride. He could never see him being the one who sinned. So what does this mean? It's simple. Simply means that we can do a lot of things, and we can even inquire of God after the fact. But if we know we're the culprit, God will never honor us until we confess. If we know we're the culprits, and here's what I mean by this. If you really look at Saul's life, here's what you see. A man who was concerned about his own agenda, not God's. He was more interested in using people than caring for them. He aided and abetted others in disobedience. He invoked God simply when it was convenient. And he was unusually zealous about the sin of others rather than dealing with himself. And if you think about those five things, you see that in us. You see it in us. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my faith, then I will hear, I will forgive them of their, I will hear from heaven, I'll forgive them of their sins, and I will heal their land. Everyone said, well, that's a promise for Israel. But if you consistently look at the pattern of Scripture, it's a promise for God's people. Why is America in trouble? We don't go to God enough. We trust systems that are ungodly, and we place our allegiance to those systems when God says, place your allegiance to me. Come to me. Turn back to me. I actually believe with all my heart that God is doing a radical thing. I love how Spencer started and talked about the millennials. More educated and more stressed. The largest group of people in life in the United States right now with the greatest desire to have a purpose, yet they're leaving the very place where that purpose should be groomed. Folks, something's broken in our churches, and we're losing people because of it. We're not losing people because people hate God. I don't believe that. We're losing people because we aren't being the people of God. Every time God said, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw. I'll draw people unto myself. Why is he not drawing our young people anymore? Why are they leaving in mass numbers? Because there's something broken. Our allegiance is no longer only to Jesus Christ, but to all other things. Those five things again. He was more concerned about his own agenda than God's. I don't know if that's you or not, but you better think about it. I better think about it. He was more interested in using people than caring for them. He actually aided and bettered others in disobedience. He invoked God simply when it was convenient. How many of us are guilty? I'm guilty of that. God, I need you now. I blew it. I messed up. Nine, it, please rescue me. He was usually zealous about the sins of others. Can't believe they're living that lifestyle. Can't believe they're doing that. Then their own sins. I can't believe I'm not loving people, God. I'm, I can't believe I'm not praying for their salvation. I can't believe I'm not doing that. We don't say that. We can't. I can't believe they're living like that. I can't believe they're doing that. We don't even want them in our churches. 
we think somehow God is going to be pleased with us. Well, Saul found out very quickly God wasn't going to be. The people I love finally got guts and said, not one hair on Jonathan's head will be harmed. Did he not do a great thing and bring this victory from God? We're not killing him. And it actually say they ransomed Jonathan. They said, hey, what does it take for you not to do it, Saul? See, the people can stand up even when there's an ungodly king. If they stand up for the right things, they can stand up and they can make a difference. What a beautiful thing. See, God has never, ever put the authority only in government. He put the authority in Jesus Christ. That's why he said, all authority has been given to you. So my heart for you, for the church, for me, for the branch church back in Ohio, my heart is that we would be the church again. We would confess our own sins. We would have God's agenda before our very own. That we wouldn't aid and abet people in disobeying, but we would be people who stand up even when it's against those in power and say, no, we won't do that. We won't do it. Love you guys. I thank you guys for the partnership that we have together. But I tell you one thing, something's broken in our churches. But there's an answer. His name forever will always be Jesus Christ the Lord. And if we place our allegiance to him and him alone, you watch. You watch what God can do when the church turns back to him with a sincere heart and an earnest desire to be his church and his people again. You watch what happens in America. You watch what happens in the world. For there is no, nothing that God can't do, and there's no authority or power that is against him that will prosper. Do we still believe that? Do we still believe it? Can I pray for us? And the band's going to come back up. God, you're good. Thank you for being good, God. God, I, I admit and I confess, this sermon hit me all over the place. And God, I just ask that you would even take my scattered thoughts and my brokenness and my unsureness on this text. And would you use and move in people that we would not be Saul, but that we would be Jonathan. And God, even when it's even not, even when we did it by mistake, even if we sinned by not knowing, we would do as Jesus. I'm, I've done it, God. Forgive me. Restore me. But God, bless, bless the people. God, may we be more like Jonathan and much less like Saul. Would you be glorified, we pray in this place. In Jesus' name, amen.